everyone. Welcome to Frontier Faith, a podcast where it's okay not to know, not to know what you believe, why you believe it. Uh, it's just good to know that there are others on this, what we call frontier of uh, between knowing and not knowing and just exploring uh, what it means to be a, uh, a human being first and foremost, but also what it means to be a person of faith, especially within the Christian tradition of faith. And uh, we're excited that you're here with us as we talk about everything that it means to be Christian. So what we like to do on this podcast is we like to uh, explore. It fits with the frontier metaphor, you see. And uh, sometimes we come right at you with the topic and we know where we're going and we get there. But a lot more often we are really doing that. We're exploring. And so if it takes us a little bit to get to to where we're going, then just stick with us. I think it'll be worth it. And um, yeah, we're just glad you're here with us. My name is Nathan Whitaker. My name is Ryan Harris. And today we want to do a little bit of inside baseball uh, conversation around pastors. And this might actually be kind of a two-part conversation. Um, this is also the most baseball I will have ever done in my life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I hate baseball. Sorry. Continue. Uh, I agree. I agree. Somebody <laughs> tried to convince me how great it was. And I was like, for all those reasons, that's why I hate it. I, I saw this article awful. one time that said they, they actually timed the amount of action in a baseball game. And it was something like 18 minutes. And I was like, <laughs> yes. And it was four hours of the rest. Of the I know, right? <laughs> now, off track. It was a metaphor, Ryan. Back to the inside baseball. <laughs> So as, as people who have studied theology, it's kind of our, uh, our world, and we know lots of pastors, and me especially, since I'm working as a pastor currently, I know lots of pastors and, and classmates from my MDiv and really all through my time at seminary. And this article that my wife shared with me talked about uh, a trend that is happening, and the trend is, is that there are a lot of pastors just stopping ministry altogether because they're choosing another way to live out their faith and even live out a pastor-like ministry outside of a traditional congregational uh, setting. Well, and that's, the, what the, that's what I'm doing. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And the general gist of why in this article is because COVID showed us things about our people and about Christianity that we are just kind of sick of dealing with. And it made me think of a question that we've talked about quite a bit, just kind of candidly outside of the podcast. We've never done so directly, even though many of our topics have brought it up here and there. And the question is simply this, um, is reform of the church worthwhile? Is it possible? Is it, you could put any adjective out there that you want, but I really want to focus on, is it worth pursuing a reform of the church? As a Lutheran, Ryan made the joke before we started our podcast. With, and now he's like going to steal it from Reformation. Me. It's actually kind of true, but really not. Like, well, we I hate. Just, true. <laughs> But at Since one point, then. it was your thing. Yeah, it was our thing at one point, and then Calvin did something, and we hated it, and so we solidified everything, and here we are now. But as children of the Reformation, there seems to be a desire to, to hold on to what Jesus actually said and did, and many of us don't see that 
happening in the church since COVID. Um, I said to a friend the other day, we were having lunch and just catching up and I said, what's phenomenal about COVID is we've been preparing each other. Pastors have been preparing each other for the great amount of work we're going to have to do the next three to five years because of the trauma that COVID is. It's just such an emotional trauma and shared trauma that we all have. And it didn't occur to me until recently that pastors have their own trauma, and it's a bit different than the rest of the church. And the trauma is we have seen things that we cannot unsee. We have experienced things that have changed us completely. Every pastor I think I know has truckloads of trauma, whether not just about COVID, I mean, just in general. And there's not a lot of avenues for them to actually deal with that. But that's a separate topic, I guess. Um, so I guess the one thing I was, well, one thing I was wondering, it's not the one thing I was wondering, because I'm always wondering things, um, <laughs> is when you say reform, what are we talking about here? So are we talking about another reformation? Are we talking about small changes? Are we talking about, you know, like, let's define our terms here. Are we talking about a specific church group or conservatives or America or what? Yeah, I think I would localize it in America and not in any specific denomination, because in my experience, it's been across denominations, Protestant, Catholic, doesn't really matter. It's the same kind of thing. It could be localized within evangelical thought, maybe, but even then, that gets really tricky to parse out, and in a our podcast, there's no way you need years right. to be able to do that research. I think. Well, and I would think maybe what we're talking about is, is just about the conservative American church, not just politically, but the reason, I mean, no label or term is going to work perfectly. But my thought behind conservative is that it's evangelicals, but it's also a lot of the problems I see from my own experience in the conservative evangelical world you see in um, people who are at least evangelical adjacent, like you folks, and uh, in conserve some of the stuff you hear from conservative Catholics, or I don't know mm -hmm. enough about yeah. the Orthodox Church to really say, um, although I suspect there's some there too. But um, that's, I think that might be a good word for who we're talking about here is conservative American Christians. And I think you're right about limiting it to America, if only because I don't know that we know enough about other places to really speak intelligently about it, right? Um, yeah. Some broad things maybe, but I think we'll just talk about our context because that's probably the one we know the best. Well, and I suspect also like for mainline folks who may listen to this or who have had different experiences during COVID, I would think that even though they may not define themselves as uh, the, with these kinds of problems, it's still so much in the culture of American Christianity that I'm I'm sure they're dealing with it in just a different way. Maybe it's it's been so consuming to speak against this stuff that they don't know how to talk differently. Maybe it's that it's bled into their denominations and their congregations too. But like you said, um, when it came to going outside of America, I'm probably just as uncomfortable going into mainline denominations for that reason too, because it's just like, I can imagine, but I'm not sure. I mean, I can say that uh, it's going to be almost base, not everything, but a lot of it's going to be the same for Canada. I could say that, but you know, okay. um, 
even that's not all the same because they don't have this all of the same cultural stuff that gets in with this. But anyway, so okay, that's who that's what we're talking about. Um, so I guess maybe are we the what was it? Oh, scope. So what's the scope of this that we're talking about? So we've said it's kind of across, you know, this whole large group of Christian people. But I mean, are we talking about like we want each person to make small changes, or are we talking about a mass exodus and starting a new something like, you know, I know that wasn't Luther's intent, but that's what ended up happening. Right. Right. Um, so, and I don't know if you know the answer. I'm just saying that's what we're trying to um, kind of tease out today. Uh, possibilities and implications, um, you know. Well, and that's really, that's really difficult, right? Because I think in our, in our lifetimes, we've seen, expressions of this frustration around reform pop up and kind of dwindle out. So there it has been something called the Emerging Church. I was just thinking about that, yeah. And they saw this kind of stuff a lot earlier than than conservative churches did and probably even mainline churches did. And they were like, let's do something different. And um, really, a lot of it was pretty great, to be honest, from my perspective. Um, but you don't see emergent churches, it would be kind of hard based off of their theology and philosophy for yeah. them to have their own own thing anyway. But you don't really see emergent churches anymore. You see them kind of as a liberal, if you will, non-denominational type of thing where yeah. they're kind of independent doing their own thing. And maybe that's maybe that is what reform looks like is completely abandoning the structures that have been created for us through the forties, fifties and sixties. Um, I don't know. That's one thing. The other thought that occurred to me in terms of what is reform, uh, you know, you asked about, is it small changes here and there? And I don't know. I think many pastors, the experience we've had is we can't even get the small changes to happen. We we can't get yeah. basic empathy to really be fostered yeah. for people. Or we've gotten a few small things to change, but the larger in hopes that they would lead to larger changes. But you get very small things that change, and then it's like one step forward, sixteen steps backwards. Kind <laughs> right? Of thing, yeah. You know? Yeah. So one of these examples that I've seen in the racial justice sphere of congregations that I've been a part of is very is elucidated very clearly by Ibram Kendi's book How to Be an Anti-Racist and he talks about how there are kind of two categories if you will of uh systematic racism and one would be segregationist, one would be um, assimilationists. And my experience has been segregationists are those that are more explicitly racist and they will leave whenever there's any hint that you're be trying to be diverse or sensitive or even anti-racist. But as I've gone through that struggle and seen, um, seen the segregationists leave, the assimilationists have had their voice just really come forward and saying like the color, the colorblind nonsense, how we're all one people and we don't need to really pay attention to race and all that kind of stuff. That's assimilationist and saying, Hey, we're all just one. And it's just as cringeworthy to me to hear that kind of stuff. 
Um, but it's like, hey, we're ta- getting away from one form of racism. And what are we doing? We're just choosing another form that is equally challenging. It's like, so we have one step, we get rid of segregationists. And I was naive enough to think, hey, <laughs> we'll solve some of these problems. Well, but then in some ways, like you got rid of the more overt racists, right? Or they left or whatever. But in some ways, the other one is more insidious because you don't have to convince most people outside of the segregationists themselves that that's a problem, right? With this one, it's a much tougher road to whatever travel um, because you can't even get people to admit there's a problem. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of highlighting what you said, which is it, it feels at least for me. And I think many of the people who have left the, the ministry so far, it feels like, the cultural change is is impossible. Yeah. Well, so one of the things I was going to say, though, is is what makes it even worse is that racism is just one example, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's the same kind of resistance to any sort of, um, not even just change, but it's the resistance to even any acknowledgement of the problem for racism, misogyny, um, how the church is treated, uh, you know, queer people, uh, money, politics. Uh, culture wars. I mean, it's all kinds of stuff we've talked about on yeah, here. Pretty much anything we've talked about. <laughs> and and plenty of things we haven't talked about. But I think what for me makes it so difficult is that while the, I want to say this the right way, while the issues vary, I think at their heart is a lot of similar things or one or two similar. And what I mean by that is that it's, A lot of them stem from the fact that people refuse to even try to exercise empathy, for example. Not that that would fix all the problems, but it would go a long way to helping with things like racism and misogyny and all these other things if people would think about them empathetically um, instead of just doctrinally or what have you. Um, And I think these same people taught us to read the Bible in such a way that Empathy seems to be the obvious conclusion of, well, all of it. And yet now we can't get them to even try it, you know, about anything. And I think, I think it's so strange because like, let's use uh, the two of us as an example. You come from a group that is started literally because the church as it existed was in a bad way and desperately needed to be reformed. Even if Luther didn't start that way, that's very much what happened. And I think that was a move of the spirit and that was great because the church needed it, right? Mm-hmm. But now I maybe, I don't know, maybe too many people think they did it and then they fixed it and there's nothing else to do. But yeah. um, now it's in a very calcified state that's in a similar spot to where Luther found it. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. like my folks, they always talk about revival and revival being this thing where God brings in a new work of the spirit that, that fixes things that are wrong or like, so Pentecostalism in early days was all about because people have ignored the Holy spirit too long. Right. And, or you can go back farther than that to the various great awakenings and um, people like Jonathan Edwards and all of this. And all of it was about disrupting the status quo in some major way, because God wanted there to be something better. Yeah. And yet now, even though, uh, you know, 
a lot of these other groups have been around a lot longer than Pentecostals. Pentecostals have been around long enough to fall into the same problem, I think. And and it's like, but you people, you people should be the ones who are cool with Reformation. <laughs> and we those people should be the ones who are looking. They're always talking about God bringing revival. And like, this is the thing that we should pray and desire for. And now it's like, okay, well, we need one. And well, we don't want that one. Not that one. Right. Everything's fine here, God. Can you yeah. just make people fall down and speak in tongues or something? But we don't want to actually have one that might change our hearts about things that matter. Right. Because that would be hard and we might need to repent, which they also told me was important. And you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like, it's just so frustrating because we I look at this and I don't see anything you or me or the many people like us. A lot of them are our age, but not all of them, you know. And we're just saying, like, look, we're doing what you taught us. And it's not even to say, oh, you guys are hypocrites, although I guess. But it's more about, like, I can't make any other conclusion here. And I don't understand how you um, can't. I mean, yeah. I have some ideas, but I'm just saying, like, this seems to be fairly self-evident. Um, or at least it should be. Yeah. I like that. I think the two components I draw from that one is uh, just a reiteration of what you said. It We've been taught our whole lives to follow Jesus. And then when we start following Jesus in the way that we see him in the scriptures, everyone tells us, well, no, we don't, we don't want to follow Jesus. We want to do this or that. Well, that's or, not what he meant. Right? Yeah, or that's Even not though what he meant. the same people who taught me to read the Bible as literally as possible, right? Who the same people who are all about, well, there has to be a young earth because the, the Genesis, because in Genesis it says day, right? Which must be a twin. Those same people are now the ones that say, yeah, but when Jesus said, turn the other cheek, he actually meant shoot them first. Yeah. Right. Like, right. or whatever it is, you know, yeah. um, it's just like, it's, it's like pants on fire. Crazy. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. Um, yeah, and I like what you said. It's not that it's hypocrisy that bothers us, although that, that I mean, of course, does, be something we can but... talk about. Yeah, but that's not really the problem that I think a lot of us are dealing with, especially those in the ministry who are considering a different approach to the church altogether. It's more that there just seems to be such a closed door, an, an unwillingness to do anything um, other than what, what they want us done. to do, what we've always done. But then, the, you know, I can speak from f fresh experiences that even when you do that, they're not happy because mm -hmm. they expect results that you can't get by doing what we've always done. So they want their churches to grow they want people to flood into their buildings and they want this, that, and the other. And it's like, it's so frustrating because you're, you want to do everything you can to make that happen. But you also know as a younger pastor or just a more aware pastor or whatever way you want to phrase that, um, that, the method is actually what's killing the church. Like you're doing it this way. That's what's actually making it so that you don't get what you want. And so if you want me to do that, we, we call like, so the shorthand is, is if you want me to do a status quo ministry, 
we can, but you cannot expect the church to grow if you do a status quo. That's just going to be something that we preach to you as pastors who may or may not want to do that, preach you until uh, preach to you until you die. And, you know, I don't have any doubt that anybody's salvation's at stake here necessarily. It's just, what, what do you want? Do you want a church to grow or do you want the church to stay the same? Because you can't have both. I'm sorry, you just can't. You can't. And yeah. the unwillingness to move in spite of or in light of all of that for me, that's what frustrates me. I deal with hypocrisy on a daily basis. I'm sure you do too, Ryan. It's well, just... I mean, yeah, I think, but that's what you're saying is like the hypocrisy is annoying, sure, but that's not really the issue because it turns out calling people hypocrites while satisfying for a few seconds <laughs> doesn't actually help, right? Right. Um, in fact, it might even make it worse. Um, I think, and I've said this before, is that I expect there to be problems in any group, right? Um, because people are people and there's sin and we make mistakes and whatever. But I think what, what just flummoxes me, at least from Christians anyway, is this absolute refusal. Like, if you can get them to admit there's a problem at all, the best response I would get or have gotten would be... Um, well, but we don't know what to do about it. That's like that's like big progress if you can get somebody to say that. <laughs> yeah. And, and my thought has always been, okay, well, let's try something, you know. And it's like even that seems to be such a titanic struggle. Um, and it's like if we were talking about, I don't know, if we were in a business and we were talking about making money and or we weren't making enough and we said, let's try something different and people wouldn't, that'd be one thing. But we're talking about people's lives and their health and their spiritual health and all of this. And we're too afraid to even try something different. We're, we're too afraid. Like, we're, like, I get it. I've talked in here a lot about how fear has been like the big thing in my life that I've had to struggle against and still do and probably always will to an extent. I understand what fear feels like and what it does and how overpowering it can be. And yet at the same time, you can't let that be an excuse to just be like, so we're just going to bury our head in the sands and people are getting hurt and dealing with depression and anxiety because of the church. But, oh, well, I don't know what to do. So too bad. Yeah. Well, it, it... I would say I think there's two reactions to them not knowing what to do. One is the bearing the hand hair and just like inactive completely. Yeah. The other is um, what you alluded to, which is um, refusal, refusal mm -hmm. to try. So it, it's it's been really phenomenal because. Um, <laughs> I was talking to somebody today about this. I said, one of the struggles for me is like, I can get perfectly mad at people. That's, you know, I do. That. I do that all the yeah. time. Um, and sometimes it does bleed into my ministry of, of my frustration of yeah. what's going on. However, that's not what's guiding my work in this. It's actually, a great deal of hope that there is something better for them. And what's really stri striking is how many times people say 
no to the very things that at least try to solve the problem. So here's that they often say they want, by the way. Exactly. So here's a really good example, kind of close to home. Nobody from my congregation listens to it and I'll be nice and and make sure that I treat them well in my conversation about them. Uh, One of the big things that we noticed in my congregation was nobody knew each other. We had three services and you knew maybe the people in your service, if that, but you really didn't know anybody else. What ended up happening is uh, people made friends and they just kept the friends and didn't look to expand their, their groups. You know, they didn't look to um, find more people in the church, even if there's working on the same project together, they're just, they're going to be doing it with their own friend group and that's it. And so one of the things we started to think about is, okay, how can we connect? That's our big word at at my church. How can we connect people? And we tried just a very simple thing, which was let's invite some people into our homes. If home is too uncomfortable, you can do it at church. Just invite some people and have a conversation and a meal. That's all you got to do. And here's some Bible prompts and so on. You know, we gave the whole show. We'll make this as easy as it could possibly be for you. And some of the, well, so the spoiler is it went nowhere because the the major leader uh, couple within our congregation who I invited to be a part of this flat out said no, not to my face, but to everyone who was there in our little pilot program. They said, don't do this. It's not worth it. And so on and so forth. And I'm like, well, why would we want to be nice to people? (laughs) Yeah. uh, This is really low effort stuff. Yeah. As a small requirement, like you have to get to know somebody and invite them into your home or make them a meal or whatever it is. We didn't adopt anybody, Karen. We just (laughs) had dinner. And they just flat out said no. And here I'm thinking to myself, when I found this out, of course, I didn't find it out for months. Um, then I found out that there was just an active saying no to it. And I thought, so we recognize the problem together. We recognize the solution is connection. And we just have a go at trying to get connection. And you say no? Well, and not only they just said no, but they didn't say, but can we try instead? Yeah, right? Right. it'd be one thing if you said, I'm really not comfortable with this for some reason. I don't know what it would be, but for some reason. But I, I do see the need. So can we try this instead? And then you'd be like, okay, well, at least we're on the same page about yeah. the need. And, you know, not everything, the same thing's not going to work for everybody. So fine. But just this, like, no, thank you. It is yeah. just like, it's mind boggling, right. especially very... since we're not supposedly the church is not a club we're not um supposed to be something where we just like this is something we're supposed to do because we love each other because somebody told us to do that and um you know that's the thing is like if this was work and work told you to do that i'd probably join them and saying yeah, yeah. Hard pass right <laughs> but right. this is not work this is supposed to be the family of god that we're all a part of yeah. and so you'd think in this example something as easy as hey let's have coffee together once <laughs> would not be a big ask and the thing is is like that kind of thing is not unique to your church now right. i mean something like that might have gone over great at other places, right? That could, but the core of what's going on there, I think is a perfect illustration of the problem writ large in 
these kinds of churches that we've experienced and, and hear about. Um, so I don't even know what the word is. Like stubborn isn't quite enough. It's just like this obdurate refusal to um, do anything. It's like apathy mixed with um what's the opposite of empathy callousness i don't know it's just like we've become so numb to anything other than ourselves that we don't really care well so that's really key in my word and i say this trying not to judge but i wonder if a good descriptor not an antagonistic label but just a descriptor of what's happening is narcissism. I just, I, it just, it fits the bill for what narcissism is. And it's not individuals necessarily, although, you know, we've all been in the church. We know that there are narcissists. It is rife with narcissists. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's more of a description of the culture that allows for narcissism to prevail. And so it has to be our way. It has to be our thing. It has to be uh, even my uh, idea it, yeah. before I can actually do that. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with other pastors where the locus is, well, we really need to help people come to the idea themselves instead uh -huh. of, you know, hearing a good idea and trying it out. Uh, and, you know, that could just be an offhanded anecdote, but it just makes me wonder if, narcissism and the way that individuals do that in a um you know mental health way if that's just a keen description of the defense mechanisms and the ways that we continue to maintain and it does kind of explain the insanity doesn't it a little bit well i think so i mean that I, I like i mean i don't like but i like the word narcissism to describe it because it's not just within individual churches or even within individual denominations I think this personal and spiritual narcissism is a thing that explains a lot of what's happened in the American church in the last few years. I mean, why were they willing to put up with the worst, not just put up with, but like ardently support the worst possible example of humanity? I think, you know, he's way up there with the worst ones. And it didn't matter that he... Um, it didn't matter that he said Nazis were fine people or tried to make it so gay people can't go to the doctor or put brown babies in cages or whatever else it was. Why didn't it matter? Because they thought that he was protecting them, right? They didn't care about any of the rest of it because it was right. good for, was theoretically good for them. It wasn't, but they did convince themselves it was good for them. So right. fuck all the rest of everything else because what we care about is us. And I think, you know, that right there is kind of the problem. We don't care about anyone other than ourselves. And I thought we were supposed to die to ourselves. You know, <laughs> again, somebody told us to do that. I wish I could remember who said all these things, but you know, and I, I, I'm, I'm being facetious partly just because I'm that frustrated and that's how I deal with it. But at the same time, I'm also like, I don't know what else to say here, folks. Like these aren't, my words, right? I didn't come up with this philosophy, this belief, this this uh, faith system, if you like. Like I'm, this is this is what Jesus said. So if you don't want to do that, 
that is entirely your decision, right? I'm not going to try and make you. But if you want to call yourself a Christian, i.e. a follower of Christ, then I don't know what to tell you. You got it. Like, take it up with him. He's the one who said it. And uh, that's the part that just is just like throw your hands up in the air because, you know, you know, to show my cards a little bit here, it's what makes me kind of feel like the idea of reformation in the sense that these um, these uh, any one church or even conservative churches as a whole can get better is that like, well, I don't know how it gets better. We're talking about a core problem here. We're talking about something that is supposedly the center of their identity. And they've decided by and large to say, no, thanks. Even the ones that are better on some things, right? Some mm-hmm. conservative churches are much better about racism than others, for example. Right. Some are better about misogyny than others or whatever it is. There aren't any that are uh, like on board with all the things they need to be on board with. And usually when confronted with whichever one or ones that they're not, the answer is kind of at best silence. Yeah. At worst, you know, lots of terrible other things about, you know. Well, and I want to push into this a little bit because I know enough about folks that are within this culture, this way of doing Christianity. The immediate response, which is, a theological defensive response, not an authentic, vulnerable response. The theological defensive response is, well, we're all sinners and we've all done this kind of stuff. And and they won't even deny that they do things, uh, in theory at least, that um, are problematic. I guess where I would come in is say, well, first of all, that's kind of a... uh, both sidesism uh, and it, it's just an excuse to not talk about it. But more importantly, I actually think it's worse than that. I mm-hmm. think I, I can't help but think, and I do this on this podcast every time I feel a little guilty just because I don't want to just talk about things that I'm doing right now, but I we're entering into the prophets of the old Testament mm-hmm. and I just can't, but help think, you know, This is the first time that it really hit me, even though up in my brain, I knew this was the case. It really hit me. Dude, the the fucking Northern Kingdom King, Jeroboam, set up two fucking golden calves. Uh Like, how could you be so fucking bold? You know, it's like. (laughs) Well, and that's Israel's story over and over and over. Right. You know, but, you know, I could see at least in the in the context of the argument that hey we're all sinners i could see some people like so i don't excuse it or anything but solomon and others like hey we're worshiping other gods but at least we're not doing a golden calf thing jeroboam i know it's silly but i'm just saying jeroboam sets up not just one but two of them and says this is your god just like they said in exodus 32 right, right. go here and worship him and the prophets, they kind of get, you know, they, they they lose the plot almost because they're just so enraged by this. And I feel very much like that right now. It doesn't feel like, oh, this is run-of-the-mill sinful type stuff where um, 
and maybe that's part of the problem. Maybe just as a side tangent really quick, maybe it's because we don't really understand what sin is. We think it's moral failings as opposed to this kind of stuff, but it just doesn't feel like the same kind of, oh yeah, well, we all sin, we all make mistakes, and we're all trying to do better. That all feels like we're trying to protect each other's egos, and I get how we have to be kind of kind to people, but at the same time, I'm looking at stuff like January 6th, and I'm seeing Jesus saves in the midst of a crazy mob of people doing the most absurd things, and all this stuff I've experienced through COVID, and I just can't help but think, no. Yeah, maybe we all are sinners, a la Romans 3. However, this seems a lot more heavy and more serious than just some theological argument that we're sinners and we need Jesus. Well, I mean, I think for me it's because, yes, we're all sinners, but what we're talking about here, what we're justifying when we say that kind of thing is people are fucking dying. Okay. And I'm not trying to use hyperbole here. I'm talking about, let me use an example from my own story here. So one of the straws that broke the proverbial camel's back in my leaving my denomination was um, when they officially endorsed conversion therapy for gay people. And if you don't know, that's where so-called therapists, which they're not, try to turn gay people straight. And in best case scenarios, this doesn't usually work, but some people have dealt with self-harm and some people have even committed suicide. I don't like saying committed. Some people have um, have fallen victim to suicide because of it. And that was kind of the response. And I brought that up to, to somebody and their response was kind of like, well, you know, we're all, you know, it's just like you can't just say, well, we're all sinners because people are not just being hurt. Some people, and it's not just that, that's just the example that I know the best. Mm -hmm. But I mean, like, people are in deep, dark emotional tra trauma states because of what they experienced in the church from Christians. And the response is, well, we're all sinners. And it's like, not only is it bullshit, but it's evil. I'm sorry. Yeah. Like, it's just, there's, there's, uh, uh, in some ways, it's more insidious than if they did it on purpose, because at least the person who did it on purpose is honest about it. Right. Um, yeah. I don't know. But all I'm trying to say is like. We're not talking about um, I lost my temper and I said a something mean to somebody I know and they were offended. Right. I mean, that's not great, but we're talking about things that have like yeah. lifelong consequences, even if they don't, even if suicide is or self-harm never comes into the picture, we're talking about things that wound people that they deal with for the rest of their lives. And their response is generally something along the lines of, um, not perfect, just forgiven. And it's like, I just, I don't even know. Like, what do I want? I, I, do I want to yeah, swear? Do I want to flip the table? Do I want to cry? I don't know. Somewhere in, in the middle of all of that. That's why I say, like, I think when you brought up the prophets, it's not that I feel like a prophet myself, necessarily. It's more that I understand. Like, if you read most, if not all of the prophets, probably all of them at some point, except for Jonah, because Jonah's a weird, Jonah's weird. Yeah. Jonah's an odd duck. And I'm He's not, the I think Jonah's maybe more a satire than anything else, but separate topic. Um, most of the prophets, you'll see where they're just like at this 
table flipping like i can't believe this uh yeah. you better you better uh shape up or god's gonna drop a mountain on you and you deserve it because they're looking at this stuff whether it's golden calves or um you know like in amos where he he, he castigates them for not caring for the poor and i think they weren't doing things like the jubilee year and and, and this yeah. kind of stuff yep. and they're just like at their wits end because this is basic stuff that they've known forever and things like greed and selfishness or narcissism, if you like, <clears throat> have just been the only thing that matters to them. And I feel like I'm not trying to cast myself as a prophet, I, but I'm saying I feel in the same space of that reaction of like, you know, um, listen, folks, this is on you. I don't know what else to say. And yeah. I... And, I don't know if this is okay, but I'm going to say it because I hope everybody who's listening knows we're just working this out as we're going here. <laughs> Maybe I'll take it back later. But there's that part where Paul says at some point, hand them over to Satan so that they will know they're uh, in Corinthians, I think. I think it's the part where the guy's sleeping with his stepmom or something. Yeah, yeah, and where he, he gets really intense. And, and, and all I mean is I have the same feeling of like, I don't know what else to say. I don't know what else to do. You made the bed and God will deal with it. And hope, you know, honestly, the even the intent there is that God will deal with it in a way that brings them back to repentance and inclusion in the community, right? I'm not even saying hand them over to their to their depravity or whatever you want to call it because I want them to suffer. The idea is just like we've tried and tried and tried and I don't know. I'm, I'm. It's not even wit's end. It's just like, what else is there to say or do? Yeah. You're just going to have to trust God to sort you out. And maybe we should have done that anyway, but you know what I mean. Um, yeah. I mean, that speaks to the, the major frustration. And I love what you said. Uh, you're, you're coaxing it and saying, maybe you're not a prophet. And let's just like bring that further out. Maybe what's happening, what we're seeing in the church and what's bringing about this exodus from pastors is that this generation is a generation that is defined by prophecy in the Old Testament sense of the word. Mm -hmm. And as you say, they're, they're reaping what they've sown. They've built up the church this way. And for what? 30 years at least, if not 40 or 50 years, People have been saying, hey, can we cut this shit out and do something different? And it took an entire generation, my generation, the millennials, to leave the church, and they still aren't listening. Mm -hmm. They're still saying, well, we need to get them back. We need to do this, that, or the other. We need to gaslight them instead of confront exactly. them. Exactly. It's actually so their fault. Exactly. Yeah. The godless people or the self-absorbed or what is it? The snowflakes is another snowflakes. one. Oh, um, God, that drives me crazy. But anyway, I, I won't go on that right right now. Um, or the lost generation. It's like no, they're well, not there's lost. a lost generation. Yeah, <laughs> and it uh. just so that's kind of how I see that is. God seems to be using my generation, especially certain voices within this generation to speak to the church and they just haven't been listening. 
Mm-hmm. The church hasn't been listening. And the church is not a generational divide church. There are millennials that are within this culture. There are Gen Zers within this culture that's accepting this way of doing church. Um, it's just there seems to be a clear divide of the millennials had had enough and they're they're done. And so I think that's just the clearest way to explain that. And it is entire. I just want to reemphasize, it is entirely frustrating to have gatekeeping of a religion that nobody really wants to be a part of. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. We constantly say, no, we want, we want, we want Jesus to be back in the church. Can we be, can, no, no, you have to do it this way well, first. We'd like white Republican Jesus back yeah, in the church. That's Actual they, that's Jesus can GTFO because we have exactly. no interest in that. Right. Right. And yeah. I guess I should say too, I don't say any of this like, hooray, I'm so glad, right? Like, it's quite the opposite. It's a tragedy. I hate it. Yeah, I, it's I, even from anger, I don't sense. Like, at least there's it's some, for me. But there's some, but that's not my overriding emotion. That's not the biggest one. I think more of like, it's it's a really, it's a deep sadness. It's disappointment. There's some anger, but I think honestly, it's just kind of like, I am out of ideas. None. I got none. And maybe that's okay because maybe, you know, there is an element of heart change that can only be done by God. But I also don't want that to be like a, well, we're all sinners just on the other side of things. Right. Right. But like none of this is said by you or by me of like, um, in vindictiveness or take that you terrible boomers or anything like that. It's more, like it's tragic because not only should it not be this way, but I don't think it had to be. Yeah. It doesn't have to be. And I, I do believe that there's enough Pentecostal left in me to say that revival can be good because it brings life to dead things. Um, And so like, I'm not, I don't know. I, I waffle between hopeless and having a little bit of hope still, you know, because I, I think it's tough because like I'm just kind of (laughs) all over the place here. But like even to the point of, you know, you hear a lot. Well, it's not everybody. There are some very bad voices in charge and and, but there's still some good ones in there. And it's like, well, it's hard to say because at some point, while I understand the sentiment, these other, quote, good ones are not doing anything to get the bad ones out. Or not enough, yeah. you know? And so it's like, at the very best, there's enablement. And I mean, I'll be honest, I, like this, even with everything I've said and the way I've said it, I've come a long way, but it still makes me uncomfortable to say, because I really don't like it. I really wish it wasn't this way. I um, I do worry about, you know, my own hypocrisy and such. But even if that's true sometimes, and spoiler, it is, <laughs> I'm a hypocrite sometimes, <laughs> just like everybody else. Um, it doesn't negate any of these other things that we're talking about, right? And I think there is, I think we're all called to have a type of prophetic ministry in a sense that when we see these sorts of things, or in a lot of our cases, when we experience these sort of things, we do also have to say it 
we have to call it out. We have to um, we have to do something because you know. I think that's our responsibility too. There are people who struggle with that more than others. There are people who, in a maybe even a kind of spiritual Stockholm syndrome, don't understand what's happening, even though maybe they should. Mm -hmm. And you know, those people need people to help them. Yeah. And so, I don't know. I was kind of all over the place with that. But I, my main well, that's point really was good. That, yeah, my main point was that like none of this is said happily. None of this is like. Uh, oh, but don't worry, because we've got it all figured out. But the point is, what we do have figured out is that things can't be this way. They just they just can't. Not if, well, they can, but not if you want to claim to follow Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, and I think you're, you're, you're getting closer to the where we need to go, um, which is answering a question. <laughs> is reform possible, worthwhile, and so forth? Because you're right. We do have to do something if we're if we're following Jesus and there is a movement out there that's calling itself the church that looks nothing like Jesus or is at least seriously flawed in a very um, identity focused way at its core, it's flawed. Um, then we have to do something about it. Those who believe that Jesus wants more, from his church and you know we as people who just want to serve other people because we're striving to be like Jesus we want to help people both inside and outside the church in a very real way so i want to just kind of reflect on that question specifically because we've been leading up to this point so with all that in mind where where are you do you think reform is a worthy pursuit where you are right now in July of 2021? Well, I think it's hard for me to say in some ways, because I think that very much was my goal in the past in the church that I was in. And even when I was still, I thought, technically orthodox in my theology, when it comes to what the Bible, you know, says about um, gay people and, and those kinds of things, even that was a bridge too far, apparently. And so, like, in my mind, I think that hand them over to Satan was perhaps a little much. But what I do think is that I'm not sure that it can be reformed short of... Yeah, I'm not sure it can be reformed. It might be able to be resurrected, but I don't know if it can be reformed. And what I mean by that is that Maybe it needs to die so that something new can be um, because, well, we're all about resurrection, right? <laughs> and, and I do think there's this idea of resurrection is not exactly this. It's not the same thing that was beforehand. It's, it, you know, at least when we talk about it, it's that there's, there's a change. There's something different. Like we talk about in the Bible, it talks about like glorified bodies, right? We're not just going to put we're not just going to get this same body back or how, I don't know how that works, but there's something different after resurrection. And I, I think my hope is that something for that. And it's not because I want to revel in the death of, <laughs> of it. I honestly just think it's the reality, whether people admit it or not, but I don't think that it has to be 
um, permadeath. You know, I don't, I don't think it has to be the end in that sense because things, I do think things like revival exist. Um, but I also think that God, I think that God lets us have some, I mean, you're going to have some agency in whether that happens or not. I, at I least, agree. I mean, yeah. I think, I think when it comes to the idea of revival, whatever that means to you, I think we can say to the spirit, yeah, no, thanks. We'll stay how we are. So I hope that that doesn't happen. And I would love for some kind of radical resurrectional, resurrectional change to take place. But where I'm at in July of 2021, I think that's kind of the only possibility. Hmm. I don't know if that's where you're at, but that's that's how I that's where I come to when I think about this question. Yeah, I think I know for certain one thing. Reform, if you define reform as working from the inside and providing change on the inside, I think that's impossible. I tried I, that I, very hard for a yeah. long time. Yeah. I'm trying that currently. I just don't think that that happens. Now, I think there are unique situations where maybe congregations start a plant and they're free to do things in a radically new way. I've seen some success with that. The emergent church was kind of a success in that way. Um, I, I don't know enough to know why it fizzled out. but Well, I imagine um, some of those churches still exist. I'm sure they do. I know yeah. Solomon's Porch does right yeah. up in uh, Minnesota. But uh, so I think I can certainly say if by reform it is doing the small changes, getting small victories, I, I'm weary of trying to make that happen. Uh, I've been doing that for four years in an official capacity, and I've been trying to do that for what? probably double that in a uh, unofficial capacity in church work. And I just, I can't, <laughs> I can't see how it's going to happen. I really don't. Um, so for me then, can reform be defined differently? I think the closest I get to hope is kind of what I said already is maybe there is some sort of established church that gives freedom to a church plant um, or a, a new way of doing church. Church plan is just the way that within our systems that we can talk about that. But maybe there's a new community being formed somewhere like an emergent church that can bring about change within a community. Um, that's very attractive to me because I think God works within communities rather than within denominations writ large, for example, or America writ large, um, sections uh, of the world. Clearly. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh. but even then I, I wonder, I wonder if that's even, um, is it just that I haven't been there to see all the failures and all the, the mess that's there or what I think a lot of pastors within this report, uh, this survey that um, I referenced at the beginning of our podcast, a lot of them are just working in their everyday lives and creating neighborhood churches is what they're doing. They don't call them neighborhood churches. They just gather together for a Bible study and for meals, and that's what they do. And they have their weekends off, which sounds fantastic, to be honest. And then they meet with people and just 
share Jesus without being like this formalized approach to life. It, it's just very early church in that way is the closest model we have to that. But it's not even that because that was within a synagogue uh, system that was already known and they kind of branched away from that. Maybe, I don't know, maybe that is a good place to pursue um, academically where this kind of change could happen because that would require something more than reform, I would think, at least the way that it worked out in the early church. Um, so I know that's a lot of rambling. What I would say is uh, I'm pretty certain reform in the traditional sense of the word is impossible. I'm, I've all but given up on it. Um, it's too late. I think it's too late. There was a time, I think, where that, and maybe even a long time where that could have been a thing. But I think the boat has sailed and sunk, honestly. Yeah. On on that kind of change. So is reform in a non-traditional way? That would be the, you know, academic nuanced conversation that I will have <laughs> in years to come. But I do think resurrection and rebirth is probably a better metaphor. It's yeah. uh and the way that I kind of saw it as you were talking is um through the death of the old church, God motivates through his spirit, different people to, you know, do something new to, to bring about something that, that we can't really foresee at this point. Mm -hmm. um, and does that mean that he works with already established quote unquote church plants or communities? I don't know, but I do I've become more and more convinced, and I'm saying this really freely outside of my congregation, um, the American church is dying. I, I don't think there's any, I, I just can't see how this is going to go. It, it, the only way that it could continue or reform is if Gen Z or the following generation were, was different, but they're different than millennials, but not in the way that's needed to reestablish order and the way that it's been done. So, but maybe honestly, maybe that's a good thing because, you know, we'd hear a lot about, Oh, it was so much better back when, or the good old days or whatever. And I don't, I don't think it was necessarily ever true. You know, I mean, sure. The church had a different place in society than it does now. And, um, in some cases, a lot more influence and such, but it didn't turn out very well. You know, it wasn't exercised for people's good by and large. Um, and so, you know, in whatever way God works things out, like maybe this can be a hopeful thing instead of um, instead of anything else. That that's what I hope so. I. Uh, you know, I'd love to be wrong about everything I said today, <laughs> but, and I don't know what God will do or how God will do it, but um, my hope that I remind myself of is that maybe this can actually be for good. Um, not that what hap has happened to people has been good or okay, but that even in those things, God can work good from the disaster that it is. Um I don't know. It's hard to even think about because it seems like such a mess, such a dumpster fire. And maybe that's not fair. 
but I don't, I don't know. I can only speak about my experience. Like at the end of the day, I can tell you about my experience and it has not been a good one. Mm-hmm. And anecdote, anecdotal stuff only gets you so far, except that I hear so many anecdotes that are very much the same or at least similar enough at their core. And so, mm-hmm. you know, it, it shouldn't feel um, novel for the church I go to now. It, it was such a, a novel feeling because I felt like they meant it when they said everybody was welcome because I'd heard that all my life and it had never actually been true. Um, so I just, yeah, I don't know. I guess I would say I, I have some amount of hope because I think things like revival and resurrection bring good things, even out of the bad things that we've been talking about. Um, and, and through them, maybe God can bring healing to, um, everyone who's been hurt, you know, who's, um, been wounded by all this stuff and, you know, that, that, that is something that I hope takes place. I really do. Um, I do have a little bit of hope there, but only, only because I have hope in God, not so much because I have <laughs> hope in people, myself included to, to do these kind of things. But maybe that's it too, is that like, there is, I think we do as people have a role in this sort of thing, but we also like a big one, much bigger than we probably think, but we also have to recognize that God is the one who changes hearts and we need to partner with God and in, maybe instead of just trying to do it on our own. Yeah. Where, where I find hope is and funny enough, because I'm not supposed to say it like this, because this is more your strain, but in my experience of being post-church, um, it's been most life-giving to me. Mm-hmm. It has been a place where I see God's love and compassion in ways that I've never seen it. I, I talked with that friend. We had just really good conversation here locally. And we were grappling with something like this too. And she said something that was just really profound. She said, you know, maybe, maybe it takes leaving the church to see God's grace more fully. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Because that's been my experience. As I've left the formal church as it's been given to me, I have seen God's grace and I have, I've struggled and I failed, but I have, seen in my actions more compassion, more willingness to change, more ability to do things that my former self would just cringe at me Mm -hmm. doing Mm -hmm. that are more in line with who Jesus is and what he calls us to do than I have ever done in my life. I mean, this period of time for me, these last three, four years, while being some of the hardest I've had at uh, right now, I honestly think I'm also the healthiest and happiest I've ever been. And that should be kind that should be wrong because what I was told was (laughs) that if I were to be where I am now, that it would be the opposite. Right. You know, and honestly, I just, I stop and I look and I say, why is it that when I'm not part of the quote, you know, biblical church or right church or whatever you want to call it. All of a sudden now I'm happy and not healthy in the sense that everything is perfect. But like I, people ask me, how are you doing? And most of the time I can generally honestly say, you know what? I'm doing pretty well. 
like, and then actually mean it. Um, And the only thing I can think is that um, God has started to bring healing, but it's, you know, sometimes you have to take yourself out of an abusive. Well, no, you should always take yourself out of an abusive, toxic relationship, but that's necessary. Yeah. Yeah, If you can, Um, but in order for healing to take place, it's hard for that to happen in the abusive, toxic relationship, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I think maybe that's partly what's going on here. Um, Yeah. Yeah. If we're not, if we're not constantly being framed by a narcissist, you know, narcissist is never happy with you, never happy Mm -hmm. with what you do, never satisfied that you're doing enough, always saying that you should have done this. You should have done that. Um, when you're away from a narcissist, it's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing what happens. It's like, oh my goodness, what a load that was on my brain, on my heart, my on spirit. my yeah. spirit. And now that I don't have to deal with that, why would I go back? Right. Exactly. Why would I go back? And if we're right that the church is a narcissist in the sense of descriptive describing its culture and its behavior, then I could see why you would be healthier and why I'm healthier. Um, Well, and, and I don't think what we're talking about here is bitterness or unforgiveness, right? I can forgive people who have hurt me and I work on that. And I think generally I do, but it's, it's harder sometimes, you know, Mm -hmm. but me, or you or any of us not being in that situation and saying, you know what? No, this was abusive and wrong or toxic or whatever. That's not bitterness or unforgiveness. Um, I suppose unforgiveness could be a thing that comes up. And at some mm-hmm. point, you know, we do need to forgive people. But even that, like the the first thing to do is to put yourself in a place of health and safety, because that's when you can forgive people, Right. Um, and even then, I don't know that the biggest responsibility is on us in something right. like that. I want to be really careful not to theologically gaslight myself into um, the same old situations. So, um, and you know what? If there is bitterness in there, God will deal with that. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's okay. God will God will help you with that. Um, and God has and does, like in my own case, you know. Sometimes God will point things out and I'll be like, no, thank you, which is what we've been talking about today. <laughs> yeah. But God keeps trying. God keeps yeah. doing it and and is able to bring forgiveness and give me forgiveness that I don't have myself. Sometimes I got to ask for it. And then still sometimes I'm like, oh, man, that's just not there, you know? <laughs> um, but I guess all I'm trying to say is because that would have been me in the past of like, well, I got to forget. Yeah, I do. And I think I can. But that doesn't mean... Um, it doesn't mean what I used to think it, it meant. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. No, that's not the word I want to say. The feeling I'm feeling right now is usually we do this post show, but this has been a very fulfilling conversation. I feel so relieved, which is weird in a sense. Usually we leave with problems and uh there's uh more to think about. And we uh, certainly we haven't answered anything necessarily of of practical. What's it look like? Yeah, but we did. We were a little more definitive than we usually are because we both said reform. No, no. (laughs) Right. And it's rare that we do that. But I think in this case, we've, you know, at least as things are now, 
I don't know the future and I have right. trouble envisioning a different one given how things are now, but you know, whatever we'll, we'll see. But, um, I'm curious, like, I know we ask people all the time and I know we're probably not going to get any responses and that's okay. We we're just happy that you're listening to be honest. We do want you to respond, but you can though. respond though. You that, can. Would, that would thrill me. Seriously. I'm curious. Um, I know that this is not a unique conversation, but I, in my exploration, I don't think I've heard very many people explicitly ask, is reform of the church something to pursue? Usually it's danced around and there are answers that are given here or there, but this is the first time I think I've really um, explored this uh, in my brain, certainly, but of course with somebody else as well. And, and I say that not to pat ourselves on the back or anything like that, but um, in engagement with those of you who are, are listening, I wonder if what I'm feeling, and maybe if you're in the same boat, are you feeling like you've been given freedom to say something that you have wanted to say for a while, that you've wanted to think about for a while, but you haven't really had the courage to or the example to do it? I, I could say that's where I am, but go ahead. Ryan. Yeah, no, no. I mean, I think so. I think that these, not just these words, but this feeling has been there for years. And I think what would happen with me is I would argue myself out of them, either because it meant I was unforgiving and bitter or because I was sinning or whatever, or because I was no better kind of stuff. And, and or I, you're giving up hope on somebody or, or you know, yeah. don't you trust uh -huh. God or whatever it is. Yeah. And I don't feel those things as much anymore. And, you know, if, you know, a few years down the line, if I were to listen to this, I might say I was a little harsh, but you know what? We'll deal with that a few years from <laughs> yeah. now because my intent is, Ryan's problem. yes, and screw that guy. But my <laughs> intent is none of those things. Right. And, and what I feel this to me is like an outflow of what I've been feeling in my life is I was told that the world, or if you like the frontier <laughs> was supposed to be scary and dangerous and it would be, um, the people would be terrible and, and everything would be awful. It'd be very much like how they taught the prodigal son kind of stuff. You know, mm -hmm. at some point you'd look around and realize you were eating the pig food with the pigs, which by the way, that's awful. <laughs> and I'm yeah. not sure. I don't think that's quite what was going on in that story anyway, but regardless is what I've experienced is honestly the opposite. And I think that this kind of conversation is just the normal outflow of that. And so what do I feel? I feel relieved. I feel liberated. And I feel, honestly, I feel safer than I've ever felt, which is strange because, like I said, I left all the things that were supposed to be safe. But um, I think it's just part of learning to trust God in ways that I needed to do has been going through a lot of those uncomfortable things because why did God have me do that? I don't know. I don't know if God caused it exactly, but what I'm saying is through those things, God taught me what I needed to learn and God brought me to a place of being healthier than I was. And I'm sure as things come up in life, I'll have some more unhealthier periods and all of that stuff. But what I can say right now is I'm doing better and it's because that's what God wants for all of us. You know, and I think that's what God will do for all of us if we are, you know, on board, Hoping at least somewhat. Yeah. yeah. So 
I hope be- this kind of stuff is encouraging to people, not not because haha, take that conservatives, <laughs> right? Yeah. More of like it doesn't have to be this way. I don't think. And whether that, however that ultimately is, whether that's through resurrection or whatever, um, that's what we all hope for. Mm-hmm. Better. We hope for health and and you know things being not the way they are. Well, and someone might decide that they just needed permission to say that reform wasn't possible mm-hmm. to actually bring about reform. Who knows what God's going to do? Um, I kind of doubt that one, but it's possible that something will happen as a result of being able to say this fight that we've been doing to reform the church, to change it, to revitalize it is another word that comes up a lot. It's probably not the best battle. It's Mm. probably not where the effort of the church needs to be. Or it's not our battle to fight. Yeah. It's not our battle. Some combination of those things, you know, I think about, wrestling not against flesh and you know against yep. people mm-hmm. um because yep. this stuff is a powers and principalities kind of thing right in all of us and i think that's the stuff that we wrestle against that god fight and god fights for us you know mm-hmm. um and so yeah i don't know it's like a, a weird feeling to have to say something that feels I, I i've had this before of course because we're on a podcast where we do this all the time <laughs> but to to actually feel that again like you're not supposed to say this kind of thing about quote unquote the church even though that's part of what's happening i think a dislodging of the um marrying of an expression of theology with the church uh writ large um to, to say that it's not worth the reform, that's something that you shouldn't say, or at least that's the spider sense in me is saying, don't say that. Well, and I don't know that we're saying it's not worth it. We're saying it's not possible. Not possible. Yeah. Well, for me, it's the same because I'm a guy that manages energy. So if something's not possible, I'm not going to put the energy into it. So it's not worth it. Anyway, Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, So I don't know if there's anything else to say. It's just weird to have that feeling again, I guess. Not in a bad way, but like, oh, I'm I'm usually the guy that makes everybody feel this way. And now I'm feeling this way because of what I've been saying and what we've been saying. And it's strange. Mm -hmm. It's good. I'm glad I'm feeling this way because I think I need to feel it, but... It's also just very strange. So I don't have anything else to say. It's just, (laughs) I had to say that, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's fair. Well, so I think, I mean, there's plenty more things that could be said about this, but I I think, you know, that's probably a good place to end for the day. Um, Take some time to emotionally recharge uh, for us. And if you're listening for you, you know, at some point, but I, I hope also that, like I said earlier, I hope it can be encouraging in the sense that, if you resonated with any of the things we said today, then you're not crazy and you're not alone. And for whatever it's worth to hear from two guys on a podcast, like it's okay to say those things. It's okay to, uh, you know what? It's okay to not be part of the church as you've known it for a while. That's okay. That was never, the, church was never the point. The point was has always been Jesus, right? So, if you need to get out for a while, that's okay too, because it turns out God doesn't just, you know, give up on us if we walk out of the doors of the church for a while. Um, and so I, 
yeah, I hope there's somewhat of some kind of solidarity or permission or whatever word you want to use. Um, you know, it's okay. And if, if you're someone who's still in that situation, it's not how it's supposed to be. If, if you're, if you have been hurt or you are being hurt or whatever, it's not how it's supposed to be. And God doesn't want it that way. Yeah. So we'd, we'd love to hear from you. Um, you know, you can respond to anything we've said today. Tell us why you've had similar experiences or you think we've gone too far or whatever, whatever that might be. You can email us at frontierfaithpodcast at gmail.com. We have a Discord channel where you could join if you'd like. The link for that will be in our show notes or description or whatever it is we call it. And if you could tell your friends about us and, uh, you know, give us a rating on your favorite podcast app, that'd be great. Preferably a good rating. Uh, that would be wonderful. Um, just so that more people can hear what we're doing. So even with all of this stuff, I think we can trust God that it will be okay in whatever way that God makes things okay. Um, because God will take care of us. 